Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our online worship service and welcome. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about baptism raised to life. It's something that we had already planned to do back when we had all of our big plans uh, for Easter and the Holy Week leading up to it. And even though the coronavirus restrictions have now changed a lot of those plans, we still want to have this subject and we still want to have some baptisms like we were going to plan uh, a baptism Sunday on Easter. And so I still want to have the conversation with you. But before we get into all of that, I just want to pray with you a little bit about the effects that this uh, decision that Governor DeSantis had on shutting down our state and people are all in isolation and different people are taking different paths. Some are really only staying at their house and protecting their family and doing everything they can to avoid contact with this disease, which I agree with. Others are saying, how can we continue to share and serve out in the community and be the hands and feet of Jesus while at the same time protecting ourselves and others from this virus? Whatever you decide is best for your family. I know that it's still having an effect on us. There is a, uh, a little uh, thing going around the internet on social media, and it's attributed to C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters back in 1942, I believe. And even though uh, this did not come from C.S. Lewis, uh, it came from Jerome Zeiler, it can be traced back to March 17th of this year. I still liked what it said because it talks about two different perspectives of what's going on right now. And he said, here's Satan's perspective. I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will cause the churches to lock their doors. I will cause Christians not to worship together on Sunday. I'll cause the sacraments not to be given or received. I will cause fights to break out at grocery stores and on social media and inside the home. I will cause greater animosity between nations. I will cause turmoil inside and out. Very different perspective. Jesus says, I will restore the family. I'll bring husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters closer together. I will greatly strengthen the communal life of religious brothers and sisters. I will greatly strengthen the spiritual lives of all my priests. I'll bring dinner back to the kitchen table and to the refectory. I will help my children slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not on what is of this world. I will deepen my children's faith in me. I will renew their prayer life. I will deepen their love for me and for one another. I really love that because it really says that we have a choice on what we're going to focus our attention on. And during this time of pause, I really pray that our families are growing together, that our love for God is deepening, and that we're allowing Him to replenish us in this time where we uh, are both in isolation and just reflecting on what's really important in life. So I just want to pray with you before we begin our conversation on Race to Life. Lord God, in this moment here on Sunday morning, I pray that you will bless us as we begin to reflect on what's really important to us, and even if we're sitting alone in our house uh, or our, where, we, where we dwell, uh, 
so that it's just us and you. That's really all we need. We know that you have promised to provide for us food and clothing and shelter and that you would be with us no matter what. So I pray that we are relying on you and that you are setting our hearts and our minds free as we explore the depth of our relationship with you, the depth of your love for us, and what you have in store for our future. Bless all of the people, Lord God, in the sound of this voice and this broadcast. Bless their homes, bless their children, bless our city, our nation, and the world as we navigate these changing times. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's have a conversation about baptism. And, that, and as we move into this conversation, I really would love for those of you who will at the end of this say, you know what, I've never been baptized and it's something that I want to do. I want you to contact us, info at firstcitychurch.org. Let us know this is something you want to do and we will make this happen. I believe this still to be one of the most important messages that I could share with you at this time. Now here's something that one of my elders sent me, the social distancing baptism. I'm not saying that this is how we're going to practice baptism like in a dunking tank or a dunking booth, but baptism is something that is so important in our relationship with God. And so today I want to talk about these four things. What is baptism? What are four things that baptism does? Is the New Testament baptism about immersion? Because the word, the Greek word, baptizo, you know, can talk about sprinkling or dipping or immersion. So exactly what is New Testament baptism? And then finally, how important is baptism in the salvation process? When I was eight years old, I was baptized. My dad was a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. And I would sit down with my father and we would memorize all these Bible scriptures and I knew what was being taught and I knew how important baptism was. And so when I was eight years old, which I think is very young to be making this type of a decision, I thought, man, if I'm not baptized, I'm not going to go to heaven. And so in a gospel meeting, I went down front and I responded. My dad was there and, and this was in an, a little bitty old church building in South Georgia and we pulled up the floor of where the pulpit was. And underneath the floor was a baptistry. And my father baptized me. And it was wonderful, even though there's not a whole lot that I remember about that. But then as soon as sin introduced itself into my life, I said yes. And I lived in a way that had nothing to do with God or the sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in my life. I got married I began to see more about what was really important. And when I was 24 years old, I called up my father, asked him to go for a ride. We were riding around the city, and I told him, Dad, I have not lived a life in honor of what baptism is meant to be. And I want to know if you'll baptize me again, not because I'm afraid that if I don't do it, I won't go to heaven or, or because I really believe that I have to, but I want baptism to symbolize a change of heart and a change of life for me. And that night, just me and my father uh, still means everything to me as it became a stake in the ground of who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be important in my life. 
And that's the conversation that I really want to have with you about baptism. But if you don't really know anything about it, and you just open up the internet and go uh, and type in, what is baptism? Bing has this front page at the very top. The baptism in the Christian church, the religious rite of sprinkling water onto a person's forehead or of immersion in water, symbolizing purification or regeneration, regeneration and admission to the Christian church. In many denominations, baptism is performed on young children and is accompanied by name giving. So what Bing is trying to do is just grab everything they can about all the different beliefs, all the different churches and religions around the world of what they believe baptism to be and puts it all in one thing. Some of it right, some of it not right, all encompassing. And so to me, really brings more confusion. Here is what we have on our website. First City Church about becoming a Christian. You can go to our statement of beliefs, and this is what we say on the subject of becoming a Christian. People can never make up for their sin by self-improvement or doing good deeds. Very important. Only by trusting in Jesus Christ as God's offering of forgiveness can a person be saved from sin's penalty, which is death. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. Amen. And therefore, to become a follower of Christ, one needs to admit to God that he or she is a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness. That person needs to pledge in faith that they want to stop sinning and start living like Christ. Through faith, they must accept that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin by dying on the cross and that they are being saved because Jesus came back from the dead. After that, just like the Bible says, each believer should be buried with Christ in baptism and raised to live a new life as a Christ follower. Now that is a lot to unpack. But as we begin to think about what does it mean to be saved and to live a life that reflects the honor and glory and importance of Jesus Christ in our lives, we believe this to be a true an all-encompassing statement. As you begin to narrow down about what is baptism, I love what Crosswalk said about it. You can also look this up on the internet. Baptism is an outward act that symbolizes the inward phenomenon of coming to and accepting Jesus Christ as real, as God incarnate, as the sacrificial means by which those who believe in Him can be forever reconciled to God. The purpose of baptism is to give a visual testimony of our commitment to Christ. It's the first step of discipleship, and that really is true. Baptism then becomes this symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo. The English letters look like this, baptizo, and really baptizo. The Greek word baptizo literally means to dip or to immerse, and he continues, the symbolism of baptism is that just as Christ died and was buried, so the baptized person is submerged, whether physically or symbolically, under water. And just as Christ rose again from beneath the earth, so the baptized person rises again from beneath the water. Under the water is the believer's old, dead, heavy, and suffocating life. Out of the water, cleansed by the blood of Christ, is the believer's new, fresh, purposeful life. 
I really like this because it's a really good picture that baptism then becomes this symbol of something much bigger, much greater of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When he left heaven, came and lived a, a life sinless, and then ended up giving his life so that we could be saved. He actually became the substitute of our own death so that we would not have to experience this eternal separation from God. And so baptism really symbolizes and, and becomes uh, four things. And the first one is a declaration of the gospel. So baptism then, Romans 6 says, that have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And so baptism is this declaration of the gospel, the gospel meaning the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And symbolically, as we are baptized underwater, that is what we're doing. We are, we are joining with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's what he did on the cross and through his resurrection from the tomb, it's what we wholeheartedly commit our lives to, and baptism becomes this intersection where these two meet. The second thing is that it's an act of obedience. And so Acts chapter 2 definitely says that baptism is a command from God. When Peter was talking on the day of Pentecost and telling people that they crucified the Son of God, the Bible says they were pricked in their heart and they wondered, what is it that we need to do? What shall we do? What must we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is also a command of God and one that needs to be obeyed by us as followers. Number three, it's the washing of sin. And so this picture that Titus gives us says that it's the symbol of going underwater and it washes away our sin. And, but when the kindness of God, the love and kindness of God, our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. See, we're saved by grace. We're saved of what Jesus did on the cross. And He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And so it's this symbol of washing away of our sins. The old has died and the new has come to life. And then the fourth thing baptism does is it identifies us with the new family. First Corinthians says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So baptism, in a sense, brings together the family of God. We all experience the same thing. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection united all of us into one body. We're all different, but we're all united into Christ Jesus, and baptism does that. And so those are four things that baptism does. Here are a couple of other verses on baptism I find important. First Peter 3 says, and only a few people, uh, eight in all, were saved 
through water. He's talking about Noah and his family and the ark and the flood. And even though water covered the earth, because they were in the ark, they were saved. And then he says, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And he says, now it's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you, he clearly says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he says it's not really this three-second act of going under the water. The fact that I can hold my breath and go under water for three seconds and come up, that's not what saves you. What saves you is something much bigger, much greater. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that I now trust in Jesus to save me. Here's another verse that I find important. Matthew 28, one of the last things Jesus said to us before he ascended back to the Father. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is very, very important. And I want to talk about this section right here in the middle. We are to make disciples and then take those disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about what that means and why that should teach us to be really obedient. And so I want to give you a little history about baptism and why it, it really has come to be practiced as immersion in the Christian community. So baptizo is the Greek word. There's also another Greek word in our uh, New Testament, bapto, which both of them mean it, it encompasses to sprinkle, to dip, or to immerse. Um, but the Greeks had this habit of when they wanted to emphasize something, they would add a couple of more letters to, to enhance the meaning, to make it a little bit more important. And so they took bapto, and to put extra emphasis, they added these two letters, to, and now call it baptizo, to dip repeatedly, to immerse or submerge like a, you know, a boat that is sunk, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water. And I love this third one, to overwhelm. Now, as we began to study in the New Testament and we try to break apart these words and see exactly what was meaningful to the early church in that Christian community. Uh, I loved this example that was given to us by a Greek poet and a physician named Nicander. And this is what he said, and it actually it's just, uh, how do you make pickles? But he used both of these two Greek words, bapto and baptizo. Look at how he described it. It's a recipe for making pickles, and it's helpful because it uses both these words. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, a vegetable should first be dipped, babto, into boiling water, and then baptized, and he uses this word baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary, the second the act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. Now, this is very important in the way that the early Christians talked about baptism and its meaning and why it was so important to them and why immersion was what was practiced. Because it was not just about 
this simple symbol of going underwater. It's we need to immerse our life into something. And so I want to show you uh, the best example I know of in, in the Bible where it really talks about this. I want to open up this subject under New Testament history and, and this baptism. So whenever there was a Gentile who wanted to convert over into Judaism, uh, they would have to go through this three-stage ceremony. So let's just say that there's a Gentile like Cornelius or somebody like him, and they were con convinced that God was the true God and that Judaism was, uh, and, and all of Israel, they were God's people, and they wanted to uh, become a proselyte or could be converted into that religion. Here are the three stages they would go through. The first was called Malah. The first thing they had to do was to be circumcised. This is something God commanded from Abraham on with all of his people. All the males in that household, all who were converted, had to be circumcised. And it was about the removal of the filth of the flesh. It was cutting off all the stuff, cutting out of your life, this symbol, everything that doesn't belong, anything that is not of God. And so that was the first thing that they had to do. The second thing they had to do was this uh, tebula, and they had, which was they had to be immersed in water. And so they would take them down to a body of water, and they would immerse them. It was always the practice. And, and it was this symbol that they had to die to their old life and live to a new life. I am no longer living the way of the Gentile. I am living the way of God's people. And that was their symbol. I am dying to the old and living to the new. And that was this immersion in water. The third thing they had to do was the korban, where they would offer a sacrificial lamb or an animal. And this was very important in the Jewish community because they, they knew from early history that forgiveness only comes through death. And you can see how this all becomes the symbol of what Jesus did for us. This was all about preparing you know, these Gentiles for this fact that forgiveness only comes through death and, and it's costly. And so the Jews were very familiar with this. They saw this all the time as people were being converted and coming into Judaism. What's unique to me is that in Matthew chapter 3, you're introduced to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. And he's going around preaching in this wilderness of Judea. And he is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so he's out preaching about repentance. And the Bible says that people just were flocking out to where he was. He was a fantastic preacher. Jesus said he was the greatest ever born of men. You know, and so... He was a great preacher, and he was preaching confession. And then look, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is what I find fascinating. He was not preaching to Gentiles. He was preaching to Jews. And what was unique and controversial was that what John the Baptist was saying to the Jews is that you are no better off than if you were a Gentile. 
And this shocked them at first because the Jews hated the Gentiles. They believed they were heathens. They were the ones who were oppressing them. Whenever a Jew would go to a Gentile country and come back, before he would cross the border, he would take off his coat and he would dust off all the dirt from his coat and from his sandals, any dirt that came from that Gentile country and not bring it in to holy Israel. And they would not work with, they would not walk with, they would not invite into their house. They would not eat at the table with a Gentile because they were not clean. And here is John the Baptist saying, when it comes to God and when it comes to the Messiah who is coming, you are as unprepared for that as the Gentiles are. And you need to repent and you need to confess and you need to be baptized. You need to die to your conviction about the law to save you. And it needs to be transformed. There is a Messiah who is coming. And, and you have put your allegiance to or all of your hope and confidence in something that is other than God. And they were doing it. By the droves, they were doing it. And then one day, while John the Baptist is preaching this, and all of these people are coming, the Bible says that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, why would Jesus need to be baptized? In fact, the Bible says that John tried to stop him. John's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to be baptized by you. But yet you're, you're coming to me? And it's like, Jesus, you don't need to ask for forgiveness. You don't need to die to an old life and live to a new life. You're perfect. You've never sinned. You're not trying to escape your past and run to a new future. Why do you need to be baptized? And it's Jesus' answer that fascinates me and lets me know why baptism is important. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said to fulfill all righteousness? See, Jesus, he didn't need to be forgiven because he had never sinned. However, when he left heaven, he said, if I'm going to live life as a, as a human and I'm going to work toward the standard, live toward the standard of what is going to be righteousness, then I have to be baptized also. If, if, I'm, if people are going to follow me as I follow God and I'm going to lead them in this new standard of what is going to be righteousness, then I need to be baptized. And he consented to being baptized knowing that we're going to be following that same example. And so... To me, what Jesus is saying is that baptism is important. It's essential in this process of becoming righteous, becoming immersed into something. What is it that we are to be immersed into? Matthew 28, let's go back to this passage. When Jesus came and he said, I've got all authority 
and I want you to go and make disciples, and I want you to baptize them. And he could have said, baptizing them in water, but that's not really what he said. They all knew that being immersed included water. But he said, I want them to be immersed in to the authority, the name of. I want them to be immersed in everything about God and everything about the Son of God and everything about the Holy Spirit. So baptism is much bigger than just this, this simple act of going underwater. It is the fact that we are to be immersed into all things, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go back to that example with the pickle. It's just, it, it wasn't dipping into boiling water. It is sitting in this solution. And what Jesus is saying is, I want all my disciples to be immersed into everything about God and how much He loves you and what He has done for you and how much He's running after you and to be immersed into everything about Jesus, the way He lived, the way He talked, the way He acted, what He did. We are to be immersed into all things about Jesus and we're to be immersed in everything about the Holy Spirit. And that is what transforms lives. And so as we come into this conversation, he says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have now clothed yourself with Christ. It's, I want to be immersed, surrounded by, I want to give my complete life to everything about Jesus Christ. Very important in what transforms a life. So it's not just, hey, I was baptized, I did that, it was a one-time three-second deal, and I've left it. We don't leave it. We are continually being immersed into a life that walks with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I love this example in Acts chapter 8. There was a man named Philip, and he walked up to a guy who lived as a eunuch. And that eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you even understand what you're reading? And he's like, no, how can I unless someone explain it to me? And so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, Here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop, the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And I think that's our response. Our response is the more you come to know what God has done for you, the more you come to realize what Jesus gave up, that he died, was buried, and rose again so that you could be saved, and that he wants to give you this gift of his Holy Spirit that inside you begins to transform you, the more he's asking us to immerse ourselves in all of what God has done and to never leave it. It's a lifelong journey, and that's where we will find life transformation. And if this is not something that you have done, man, I really believe this is a very important message. And I would love to see anyone who's never been baptized, never fully given your life to God. It is this, the, the symbolic act of being baptized in water. But the immersion is that I'm going to immerse all of my life, give all of my life wholeheartedly from now on into everything, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to help you do that. So I really want to begin this prayer with you right now as we just pray for what God wants to, uh, you know, us to do with next steps and then to ask that we, during this time of pause, take the opportunity to get immersed more deeply into the things of God, the things of Jesus, 
and the things of the Holy Spirit. Can I pray with you? Lord God, thank you for this teaching. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for baptism, this immersion that we are making a wholehearted, devoted decision that we want to give you our whole hearts, all of our life, and that this is a journey. It wasn't a one-time event that for the rest of my life, I want to give myself wholeheartedly immersed, not into my work, not into the coronavirus scare, but I want to be immersed into all things about you, Lord. So I pray that during this time, Lord God, if there's anyone who has not given themselves wholeheartedly to you, that right now they make the decision. Right now they invite you to come into their life into a new and fresh way. And that during this pause in our world, we are all rededicating ourselves wholeheartedly to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the invitation to be your children. I pray, Lord God, that we say yes to you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we can help you with that, info at firstcitychurch.org. I would love to meet you and to do whatever we need to do to make sure that you are immersed into all things God. May God bless you.